Interestingly, there's been research on this field for almost 100 years. Actually, going back to World War II in Germany, they were researching how to use fermentation to produce fat as a way of stabilizing their food system, not having to rely on importations and having sources of fat that didn't require growing extensive agriculture and, and pressing those crops. Fast forward, you know, there's continued research over the decades. There's a lot of scientific literature on the subject. When I read that literature, I was very intrigued. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Jeff Nobbs. Jeff is the co-founder and CEO of Zero Acre Farms, a food company replacing destructive vegetable oils with healthier, more sustainable oils and fats made by fermentation. With over 15 years of experience in the health and nutrition space, Jeff has co-founded several startups to offer better quality ingredients and nutrition-forward food to people and communities, including the fast casual restaurant chain Catava. And in 2020, after seeing a drastic decrease in accessibility to fresh food, Jeff co-founded Help Kitchen to connect food insecure individuals with partner restaurants for a free meal. How great is that? In this episode, Jeff and I discuss the harmful fats that are lurking in most foods we buy at the store and almost always when we eat out. But don't worry, we help you learn what to do and what to look for on the labels to avoid these harmful fats and what are some beneficial fats that are better options for you I have to admit, I knew close to nothing about cultured oil before recording this episode with Jeff, and wow, am I a believer. Let Jeff fascinate you with this new, not only beneficial oil for our health, but also an extremely sustainable option to better our planet. Jeff, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on and pick your brain on, you know, we're going to talk about beneficial fats versus harmful fats, but also on cultured oil, because I honestly, I mean, I've heard of Zero Acre Farms, but I don't know that much. So I'm really excited to pick your brain and share with our listeners, um, you know, just another way to benefit their health. That sounds great. Happy to be here chatting with you. And I think this is certainly a, a lead domino and and um, something everyone can do to better their health and, and getting rid of the the unhealthy unsustainable oils and replacing them with healthier ones. That's what we like to hear. Um, I'd love, Jeff, for you to just start off, though, with telling our listeners a little bit more about your journey into, one, starting Zero Acre Farms and bringing cultured oil into the wellness scene, um, but also why you're so passionate about it. Absolutely. You know, it's it's easy to kind of connect the dots looking backwards, but for most of my life, it didn't make any sense that I was interested in this. For some reason, in middle school, I started getting really interested in health and, you know, bringing radishes and chicken breast to school. Um, and it actually started in trying to just like gain weight and muscle for the high school football team. Uh, and, and, and food was just like a means to an end to do that. And as I got deeper into food and trying to figure out what I should eat to, you know, put, put on lean muscle, um, it, it really frustrated me that no one could agree on what that food should actually be. Like at the time, you know, I was just trying to eat more, but like, should I eat Cheetos or chicken breast or vegetables or saturated fat or unsaturated fats? And you know, I wasn't that sophisticated at 12, um, but it, it seemed like a, a, a weird kind of controversial space. Um, 
And, you know, fast forward a few years and I, I had a couple of deaths in my immediate family from chronic diseases. And that really set me on this journey of figuring out what we eat that makes us healthy and what we eat that makes us sick. And the foods that I kept coming back to were vegetable oils or seed oils. And again, such a controversial topic. And I didn't have a strong opinion one way or the other in my early 20s. Um, but it seemed evident that th- this was an area of our nutrition that you know needed more of a focus. And so I, I set out on figuring out for myself, what are the good fats? What are the bad fats? And the conclusions I came to were very different than the, you know, kind of standard food pyramid or, or typical dietary guidelines. And similar in other aspects of our diet, not just fat, the conclusions I came to uh, were different than were what the foods that were served at most restaurants. So I ended up starting a restaurant chain called Kataba in, in the Bay Area. And one of the foods that one of the ingredients that we had the hardest time sourcing was cooking oils that weren't what we considered inflammatory seed oils. Uh, and, and that ultimately led to starting Zero Acre Farms to try to get healthier, more sustainable oils out there to replace all of these harmful seed oils. Oh, so interesting. Do, do you still have your restaurant chains as well? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's growing, um, doing well, and continues to be seed oil free. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I'm curious... Just so we have a little background, because I want to get into like kind of harmful fats versus beneficial fats. But how do you just for people listening, like what is cultured oil? How do you make it? Yeah, uh, great question. Good place to start. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's not always um, immediately straightforward because it's an entirely new category of oil. You know, it's it's not vegetable oil, which is oil extracted from a crop. And it's not animal fats like ghee or butter or, or tallow that you know are, are from animals. Um, it's a new category we call cultured oil. And so how cultured oil is made is uh, sugar cane is fermented by microbes and it's fermented into oil. So you can think of other plants that are fermented into something else like barley being fermented into alcohol and carbon dioxide, which we call beer. Or uh, grape sugar being fermented into wine, or uh, milk being fermented into yogurt. Um, you know, we have the words like yogurt and beer and wine to describe these fermented products, but we haven't had the word to describe well, what happens when you ferment sugar into oil. And so we came up with cultured oil. We thought that was descriptive enough. Um, but but yeah, it's it's just fermented sugarcane uh, and and it, it, the microbes transform that sugarcane into oil. That oil is about 90% monounsaturated fat, which I'm sure we'll get to what that means, um, and then has very low amounts of saturated fat and omega-6 fats, which again, I'm not sure we'll get to uh, what that means because of the way, so that, that's what it actually is. And then because of the way it's produced, it ends up having a much smaller environmental footprint than other oils out there, about 10 times less than, uh, 10 times smaller than vegetable oil. Which is fabulous too. But I mean, I'm just so curious, like, because I would have never thought fermenting sugarcane could lead to oil. How did you figure this out? Uh, So interestingly, there's been research on this field for almost 100 years. Um, Actually, going back to World War II in Germany, they were researching how to use fermentation to produce fat as a way of um, stabilizing their food system, not having to rely on importations and having sources of fat that you know, didn't require growing 
um, uh, didn't require you know, extensive agriculture and, and pressing those crops. Um, fast forward, you know, there's continued research over the decades. There's a lot of scientific literature on the subject. Um, when I read that literature, I was very intrigued and I had been banging my head against the wall for better part of the previous decade on how to solve this seed oils problem. And I looked into everything from scaling up regenerative beef tallow to olive oil to avocado oil and everything in between. And for one reason or another, um, typically for scalability reasons or um, like the physical properties of something like beef tallow, it, it, it wasn't realistic that that would scale to displace, you know, soybean oil. Um, and so the light bulb kind of went off when I was coming across this research that this could be the type of oil that actually stands a chance of making this big impact of replacing all these seed oils out there. And, you know, fast forward to today and it's produced at uh, large quantities, large scale. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not um, a, a fermentation engineer. Uh, we, we have members of our team and my, and my co-founders uh, who know all the science behind it. Is it wild too, Jeff, that nobody else was doing this? Like, that's what I think about. Like, just because there was the literature there, but that nobody else decided to produce it. Yeah, there's, you know, there's still nothing else on the market um, like this. You know, again, we didn't have to invent everything. So we're certainly standing on the shoulders of giants. But um, I, I think we have been the first to really see the, this problem with the oils and fats we're currently eating. And looking to this sort of technology as a as a solution, and you know what what I'm I'm a total health nut and nerd, and what I'm very cautious of is introducing new things to the food supply because that usually doesn't end well for us. Whether it's um, high fructose corn syrup or you know trans fat or Alestra or you name it, um, what's and and so what's intriguing to me about cultured oil is that there's nothing new. It's it's the same fats we've been eating for all of our evolution, just more of the good and, and less of the bad and produced in a more sustainable way. Um, so it's, it's somewhat unique in you know, food tech, I'm putting in air quotes, um, because there's actually nothing new. It's, it's just a more sustainable, natural way of producing these healthy fats. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it just seems like it checks all the boxes, which is what I love. Um, Let's dive into a little bit, especially for our listeners, kind of like the basics of fats that are harmful to our health versus beneficial fats and where cultured oil like comes into play with that. And same with those seed oils that we keep mentioning, um, which we will go through a list of what those are for everyone listening as well. Um, but what do you find are the most harmful fats to our health and why, and then same with beneficial fats. So this is a little bit like asking which is the right political system or like the right <laughs> God to pray to. It's uh, it's very controversial, and it's you know diet is probably up there with politics, and it and always will be, Jeff. You know, like it will always That's be right. controversial. But I'm really curious just to hear your thoughts. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely give you my my unfiltered thoughts. Um, but but just know that especially the the fats aspect of nutrition is probably you know, the the most uh, controversial aspect of a very controversial topic. So um, what everyone can agree on is monounsaturated fats seem to be beneficial. Um, you know whether you're a proponent of animal fats, something like beef tallow or lard contains fifty percent ish monounsaturated fat. 
um, or a proponent of plant oils uh, like olive oil or avocado oil. Those contain, you know, 60 to 80% monounsaturated fat. So monounsaturated fats are a category that we can kind of set to the side as not too controversial. People seem to dig them, you know, scientists or, uh, or Instagram influencers. And then the category of saturated fat is probably the, the most controversial. Um, saturated fats tend to be higher in tropical oils like coconut oil uh, or, or palm oil uh, or, or cocoa butter, and also in animal fats like beef tallow or, or lard. Um, saturated fats, you know, have, have for the last 80 years have, have been a controversial topic and have gone back and forth between being traditional and what everyone ate to then being something that would raise your LDL and cause heart disease, then to being something like, you know, on the cover of Time magazine saying butter is back and being, uh, uh, you know, being positioned as something very healthy. And, um, and, and then now it's sort of like, it just depends who you ask. And, and then there's a category called polyunsaturated fats. And by the way, these names are all without getting into like the, the deep biochemistry they're named based on how many double bonds these fatty acids have um, and how far away the last double bond is from the end of the fatty acid chain. So it gets complicated, um, but I'm using these names because this is what's actually shown on the nutrition facts, you know, on the back of a package. Uh, total fat, monounsaturated, saturated, and polyunsaturated. And polyunsaturated fats have a couple categories. One is omega-3 fats, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of. These tend to be found in flax seeds, chia seeds, you know, very high in cold, oily, uh, cold water fish. And then, um, and then sort of like the evil cousins of omega-3 fats are omega-6 fats. And the most troubling omega-6 fat in our diet is called linoleic acid. And omega-6 fats or, or linoleic acid, um, I, you know, I, I joke they're kind of the evil cousin of omega-3s because they tend to be pro-inflammatory where omega-3 fats tend to be anti-inflammatory. And these omega-6 fats um, have gone from a very small part of our diet to a very large part of our diet. And the number one source of omega-6 fats in our diet is from seed oils. So g- getting to the topic of, you know, which oils uh, are, are good or bad, I look at it through the lens of which oils are highest in omega-6 fats. And those are the oils we should not be eating much of because we're already getting way too much omega-6. There's a lot of literature out there showing the excess consumption of omega-6 leads to and has been linked to a variety of chronic diseases, whether it's um, you know, o- obesity, cancer, heart disease, dementia. Um, and so the less of this stuff we get, the better. We, we should be eating maybe 3% of our calories as omega-6 fats. Um, and now that's you know, tripled or more. And, uh, and, and seed oils are about 20% of our calories. So whereas most real whole foods contain one, two, three percent omega six seed oils contain upwards of seventy five percent omega six fats, and the type of the, the the amount of omega six in the oil depend depends on you know which oil it is. So the lower omega six oils are olive, avocado, even canola oil at like twenty three percent. The high omega six oils are soybean oil, corn oil, safflower oil, etc. And you had asked how cultured oil fits into this. Um, cultured oil contains between two and 3% omega-6 fat. So that's on par with something like coconut oil or beef tallow or butter. Um, but, but as a liquid oil, because of its high monounsaturated fat content, which is liquid at room temperature. Thank you for that explanation. It's very thorough. 
where would you say people are getting most of their seed oil consumption from that they probably don't even realize? Probably restaurants, um, first and foremost, because there's the least transparency there, unfortunately. You know, um, folks who are cooking at home can at least turn over, you know, can, can look at the bottle that they're cooking with and, and look at the ingredient list and see whether it has soybean oil or canola oil or safflower oil or corn oil or cottonseed oil in it, or turn over the box of packaged foods and see if it contains these oils. For folks not familiar with this subject, um, uh, we're, we're doing a seed oil free January at zero acre. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are going to their pantries and turning over those, those, uh, boxes and packages. And it's really surprising how many packaged foods contain seed oils, almost every one. Um, and in restaurants, it's nearly every restaurant meal. I can't tell you how many restaurants I've been to where I've asked if they can recommend something that doesn't have oil in it. And they literally can't, you know, besides like a bottle of water, um, for, for many restaurants, every item on the menu contains these oils. Um, so, so it, you know, it's, it's tough to avoid them, unfortunately. And, um, you know, one way would be to not ever eat out at restaurants and to, to cook every, every meal at home from fresh ingredients, which would be an awesome option. Um, but you know, most people aren't going to do that realistically. I don't do that realistically. I love eating out at delicious, delicious food at restaurants. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons we wanted to create just an alternative that was better as opposed to convincing everyone to stop eating out or any, eat, you know, stop eating any food that ever comes in a package. Yeah. And I think I'm sure like a question for a lot of people is, well, why are these restaurants using those oils? Why don't they use something else? And you, I mean, you can speak to being a restaurant owner as well. Like they're cheaper, right? It's cheaper. Yeah. They have high, you know, high frying temps. Like it's, it's, easier to i'm curious jeff if you've like are you now approaching restaurants trying to get them to use cultured oil instead yeah we just started doing that so awesome. if any of your listeners know of restaurants that need an oil change let me know um i mean we're, we're can you change all of them please <laughs> we're working on it um yeah uh, you hit the nail on the head um you know price is is a big aspect these oils are are definitely cheap um and they're very cheap in part because they're so abundant. So the more we can get these oils out of the food system, um, you know, the more we can make them less affordable, which, which, is, which is a good thing because they're doing harm to our planet and our bodies. And ultimately, you know, one of my viewpoints on this is actually these oils are extremely expensive. If you take into account the impact they have on our, our world's healthcare costs, the impact they have on yeah. the planet and you know, all the costs you need to put into that. Um, but yeah, so cost is one. The other is, like you said, their their functionality. Um, at at Katava, at my restaurant, we tried coconut oil for a while, um, and then everyone said all of our food tasted like coconut. Uh, and then in the winters, you know, it would get really solid. We we worked with palm oil. Um, we you know used olive oil. And we tried to make dressings and put it in the fridge. And then it was, it was solid the next day. Um, so so we've you know we we've gone through all of them it seems and. Um, and, and say, so there, a lot of these seed oils are used because they stay liquid at a variety of temperatures. Um, you know, you can turn up the heat and they don't start smoking too much. So they still, you know, smoke a decent amount. Um, and, and yeah, they just don't taste like much. So you can, your French fries, you know, won't taste like coconuts or olives, um, or lard. They'll taste kind of like potatoes. So, so those were all the aspects that, you know, were very important in, in cultured oil that we wanted to make sure existed, um, as a replacement. 
Yeah, and I feel like it's always confusing for people because they're called vegetable oil. A lot of people think they're healthy for them. And another one, Jeff, I wanted to point out um, that we didn't list because for some reason it like had a moment as being healthy, but grapeseed oil, that's another one on there. Um, Yeah, do you remember that period of time? It was like maybe a year or something where they were trying to push that grapeseed oil was like the new healthy oil. I was like, where did this come from? Um, Yeah. That's that's right. And grapeseed oil has one of the highest omega six contents out yeah. there. Um, like, but, but a lot of chefs still sense. use it. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, no, definitely. It's still that's why it's like a still a prominent one. And even like reading it on labels, um, if you were to tell someone who's like, okay, like I'll try eating out less, but like it's a little bit tough for me. I live in a city. It's just kind of like my, you know, way of living or part of my culture. What are some other like easy, realistic ways for people to avoid eating some of these seed oils? Uh, check ingredient lists on you know packaged foods yeah. in your in your fridge in your pantry. Um, they hide in things like salad dressing and barbecue sauce and plant based milks and plant based meats and crackers and chips and the list goes on and on. Um, even eating out at restaurants, another thing to watch for is well, well first of all, you can always ask the the server, you know, what their recommendations are for foods that contain less oil. Um, I just started saying less oil in general. I, I would specify seed oils in the past. And I've now kind of realized that um, oil is synonymous with seed oils in restaurants because they're not using 100% olive oil, you know, very rarely, if ever. And often if restaurants say to use olive oil, it's actually a blend of like 80% canola, 20% olive oil. Um, you know, fried foods are delicious, um, but repeatedly heating seed oils it makes them even more harmful so if you're deciding between you know the fried dish or this or the pan fried or sauteed or baked dish go with the non-fried dish because at least the oil has only been heated once whereas in a deep fryer it's maybe been heated for you know days and days um and so more and more toxins are generated in that and not fried food yeah. And it's interesting too. Like I know we touched on saturated fats and I agree with you. I think saturated fats are always going to be controversial and what people believe and not. And also because like, you know, the research is a little bit like it's, it's not completely conclusive, but what they definitely found, especially with like fried foods is when you have a saturated fat, even if you have like a good quality meat, right? With the seed oils with the carbohydrates if it's like breaded that's what's really making the biggest negative impact on people's health so like you have a win-win there um, by just trying to avoid that fried dish as well i'm curious jeff i want to get into kind of like i know we talked a little bit about cultured oil versus like an extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil in terms of the monounsaturated fats are you still a proponent of avocado and oil, avocado oil and extra virgin olive oil as being healthy oil options for people? Or like what's your take on that compared to cultured oil? I, I see all these oils on a spectrum um, of, you know, optimal to um, downright deadly. Yes. And um and, and yeah, you know, I I'd put the uh the omega-6 content as the the key driver of where the oil shows up on that spectrum. <clears throat> um, and then there's like different axes, whether you're looking at the functionality of it, you know, does it say liquid or is it solid? What does it taste like? What's the smoke point? 
you know, th- those all will depend on how it's being used. And then, of course, there's another variable on how sustainable is that particular oil? Is it, you know, is it good for our planet? Is it bad for our planet? Is it destroy? Is it, what's its impact on biodiversity? With all foods today, right? There's like a lot for consumers to keep in mind. Um, and it's, it's not so simple anymore, but, um, yeah, I, I, so I'd put olive oil and avocado oil as much closer to the, to the good end of the spectrum than the, the deadly end of the spectrum. Um, you know, those, those oils, contain much less omega-6 fat, the inflammatory fat, um, than seed oils like soybean oil and corn oil and cottonseed oil and grape seed oil and rice bran oil and all the rest. Um, that said, they still contain a moderate amount. So compared to, you know, uh, some of the, some of the animal fats, like, um, like beef fat or, or compared to tropical fats, like coconut oil or cocoa butter, uh, they can still contain considerably more, like up to 10 times more. Um, so, so yeah, certainly better. You know, I wouldn't stress out too much if you, if you go to a restaurant or find a packaged food that has avocado oil in it or olive oil, like that, that's certainly better. Um, for, for cooking at home, you know, they have some drawbacks from a functionality standpoint, um, and, and don't have a, you know, have a, a moderately high smoke point. Um, but we think there, there is room to do better. Yeah. No, for sure. I'm curious. Did you guys try, before you discovered cultured oil and started producing it, did you guys try avocado oil at your restaurant or was it too expensive even just like make work? Uh, yeah, there were, so, so we did try it. Um, it was too expensive. One, um, yeah. two, it didn't have any functionality benefits. So, um, you know, wh- whether we used avocado oil or let's say canola oil that we never, we never used any sea oils. Um, but just in like R and D th- there was no benefit. It, you know, it didn't, it didn't smoke any less. It didn't taste any better. The oil didn't last any longer. Um, or if it did, it was, you know, marginal. Um, so it was, it was, and, and it was at a significant premium and it was sort of like hard to source. Um, yeah. That's what I would think. We also, we had an ethos of, you know, choosing the most sustainable ingredients. Um, and avocado oil is like, isn't really the winner in, in that field. Um, you know, the really unfortunate thing with choosing the right oil is, the fruit oils like avocado, olive, coconut, even palm, in my opinion, are much healthier than the seed oils. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the fruit oils that have the biggest environmental impact. Most people know about palm oil's environmental impact. Um, you know, but, but other oils are, are just as bad in, uh, in various categories. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and I want to actually get more into the environmental impact, uh, and the difference between cultured oil and others, but it's, there's so many facets to it that like people don't even think about. And it's something that we take in at probably almost every meal, taking in some type of oil. Um, we were talking a little bit about the smoke point. What is the smoke point of cultured oil? So, and for everyone listening, the smoke point is basically what you can heat the oil to before it, yes, starts to smoke, which also means it may be going rancid or and can be oxidized, which can most likely usually be harmful for our health, but I'm curious how high can you heat cultured oil before that happens? Uh, the official smoke point is 485 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the highest smoke point of any yeah, oil that's that great. we've seen. Um, we've, we've had others test it and say they got their cast iron pan to 500 before it started smoking. Um, so <laughs> for all intents and purposes, you should be able to cook with it without having any, any smoke pop up. Yeah, that's awesome. Cause that, I feel like that's also one of the biggest issues with 
the healthier option oils is the lower smoke point. Like, especially like with an extra virgin olive oil or something like that. It's just, it does make it tough to cook with. And what's the point if then you lose the health benefits? Um, and have a very smoky kitchen. Yes. <laughs> no, true. Yeah, our smoke alarm probably goes off too much here, but I think ours is also sensitive. Um, okay, Jeff, let's talk about the environmental impact because I know like you touched on it, but it's so amazing the difference. Let's compare cultured oil to, you know, whether you want to compare it to seed oils, fruit oils. How is this so much better for our environment? So, you know, these other oils that, um, you had, you had jokes, you know, about vegetable oils. You'd think they're healthy. Um, they're of course not from actual, but they're not from kale and spinach and asparagus. Um, it was actually a term coined by Procter and Gamble. They called Crisco and cottonseed oil vegetable shortening because they thought that sounded great. And at the time there's little to no oversight on what brands could call their ingredients or even list ingredients. And it sort of stuck. And then all future, you know, crop seed crops, um, you know, that were extracted for oil, they called them vegetable oil. And really it was just, you know, very good marketing. Um, so, so these other oils are not from vegetables at all. They're from, they're from crops. And these crops are, of course, plants. Plants are not very good at making oils and fats. They're very good at making sugars and carbohydrates and fibers. So, you know, if you're near a window and you just look outside and look at plants, you're not looking at something that's producing much oil. Um, the exception is actually palm oil. Palm oils are a very effective producer, uh, or sorry, palm trees are very effective producers of, of oil per acre. The problem with palm is it only grows near the equator, and that's where all of our biodiverse rainforests are. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, very, very valuable land. It's very carbon rich and, and all that's getting destroyed. Um, but, but all other, you know, trees, plants, you look at them, they're, they're fibers, they're carbohydrates. Think of leaves and twigs and stems and branches. And then maybe just a little bit of oil in their, in their seed or in their fruit. Um, so what we think makes far more sense is using all those sugars and carbohydrates that are in these plants and fermenting them into healthy fats. And that's the reason that cultured oil, which is like we talked about earlier, fermented from sugarcane. Sugarcane is just a really tall grass and it is, is very rich in sugar or sucrose. And so fermenting that sugar into oil results in about a 90% lower environmental footprint than something like soybean oil uh, and, and about 10 times less water and land use as well. And, and every oil is different. Um, we had talked about the problem with fruit oils. Olives, for example, are sort of like the almonds of the, of the oil world. Um, they use an extremely large amount of water. Olives and olive oil can be produced without using a lot of water. Um, you know, if you have like an Italian grandmother in, in Italy with her olive tree in her backyard, that's not the issue. She's not irrigating that olive tree, most likely. As a result, the olives take a long time to grow and, you know, they're a bit more bitter. Um, so, so large scale olive oil production, they, they irrigate the heck out of trees and it creates a slightly more subtle olive oil flavor. And then it also increases the rate of production. So compared to olive oil, for example, cultured oil uses about 300 times less water. Um, you know, a, a significantly smaller water footprint. And then from a land use standpoint, this is why we call the company Zero Acre Farms, uh, the amount of land use kind of rounds down to zero, you know, l less, less than one acre. Um, 
that uh, could compared to other oils out there and how much is needed to produce certain amounts of oil. I'm just shocked. I'm still shocked at the, like, it's taken this long for someone to, one, produce it, but two, that now you guys have produced it. And I hope, right? Like, I know you're on the mission to get restaurants like to have it, but that it's not more prevalent. I hope that we can connect again. I mean, obviously before 10 years from now, but 10 years from now, and it's like, everyone knows what cultured oil is. Like, if you're not using it, who are you? But um, it's just really fascinating, like, you know, the health benefits, but then paired with the environmental impact, it's just a no brainer. Um, one question that we have not addressed though, is, is there like a taste or a flavor to the oil? Like I will say like one thing I do love about a really good extra virgin olive oil, because that's, I mean, we're not going to open that can of worms, but like a lot of the extra virgin olive oils out there are either like in a way watered down with some seed oils basically if it doesn't solidify in your fridge it's not a true olive oil or extra virgin olive oil but i do love that like you know when you get like that little spicy taste from it um and usually that like is an indicator too that there's more polyphenols and some of those health benefits but what, like, does cultured oil have a taste to it or flavor, or is it pretty mellow, which I know we do love for cooking. Like we were saying, it's not going to, like, alter the flavor too much. It's, it, it is very mellow, subtle. It's neutral. It's a neutral taste. Yeah. Um, it, if, for, for folks who have, you know, a, a more sensitive palate than I do, um, if, if there's any taste detected, it's uh, buttery or nutty notes. So pleasant and, you know, goes yeah, well pleasant with notes. most foods. <laughs> Um, and you know, like extra virgin olive oil is a drop in the bucket globally when it comes to, you know, what oils are being used. Certainly yeah. that's, you know, my opinion, not like the big public enemy number one. Um, and, and, and like dipping a, you know, piece of sourdough bread, if you, if you want that olive oil flavor, you know, that, that's tough to beat. Um, what, what I do at home is I'll do like an 80, 20 blend of cultured oil and extra virgin olive oil to Ooh. get the, the flavors and the polyphenols from the extra virgin olive oil and just make a bunch and put it in the fridge. And when there's 80% cultured oil, it actually doesn't solidify. The cultured oil keeps it liquid. You kind of get the best of, of both worlds. Um, you could use that to, to cook as well. We did some, we did some tests showing the, the toxin production from various oils when heated, uh, cultured oil versus olive, avocado, sunflower, corn oil, soybean oil, and canola oil. Um, and, and to your point about like, you know, smoke points, um, and, and oxidative stability, we, we showed in that study, third party study, um, culture oil is barely showing up on the map in terms of toxins from these polyunsaturated fats. And even olive and avocado oil were, you know, were, were, um, pretty moderately high levels, uh, like 10 times higher than, than cultured oil. Um, so those, those problems go away when you're doing something like drizzling a little oil on a salad, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's like a, a perfect use case for something like extra virgin olive oil. Yeah. And that's really when I like talk about taste and flavor, whenever you're heating an oil, like the flavor and taste like pretty much goes away anyways. It's more like, like you said, like, you know, dipping a piece of sourdough into like that fresh oil. But I love that idea of kind of, you know, doing that 80, 20 and having the cultured oil. And then you put a little bit of that olive oil just for, um, 
the flavor. But in the end, honestly, it's better to have, to me, to have a neutral flavored oil because there are definitely times where like if I cook with a coconut oil or something and it's not, that's not the flavor profile of the dish. Right. You do taste it a little bit and you're like, hmm, do I like that as part of it or? (laughs) Yeah. Did I want, the the recipe didn't call for coconut flavor in this one. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? For a tikka masala, perfect. You know, or for a curry, that's, yeah, it works great. But for some other dishes, I'm like, I don't know if that works out so well. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, But this is so, yeah. I was going to say in in my home kitchen, I, I have, um, cultured oil, extra virgin olive oil, and grass-fed butter, and Ooh, that yeah, you, you know, can't you I'm, can't get I'm rid of saying. the grass-fed butter. That's like yeah, my, you know, cultured oil and the banana pancakes just don't cut it. Uh, you need oh some you need a little bit of butter on there. Jeff, are you like in my son's mind? He literally eats <laughs> banana blueberry pancakes and like will not eat it unless I slather on some like grass-fed butter on top. Which I'm like, it's I really totally good. get it, man. Like. <laughs> And there's like totally a difference too sometimes with like having butter on your toast versus like pouring oil. Like there's a time and a place for each in a way, depending on what the meal is. So you always got to have both. Um, I'm curious, Jeff, because you're so passionate about health. And I love that like that's why you started this company. We're on this mission. I don't think most people can say it started in middle school. So kudos to you. But um I'm curious, like with your, are there any other like daily health and wellness non-negotiables that you practice each day to better your health? Yeah, there are a lot. Uh, <laughs> a, a lot of it does come down to diet. So um, I'm pretty meticulous when I eat at home because that's what you know I fully control and it can just make it easy to to eat well, um, so that I don't feel so you know so bad if I go out and and have something at a restaurant. Um, of course, still no. I still try to be mindful about that as well, and order a lot for my own restaurant because uh, that, that's one of the one of the perks of having it. Um, I also really focus on sleep, so that that's certainly non negotiable for me. Um, I can't remember the last time I set an alarm. You know, the only time I really set an alarm in the morning is if I have an early flight or or traveling or something along those lines. Um, and you also you know, have mean, a, a four month old, so there's your alarm clock. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's exactly right. Multiple alarm clocks a day. So I, I don't need, the, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't need to set an alarm. Um, and, you know, I think there's increasingly a lot of good research showing that mental health um, is just as important as physical health and can, can, you know, in its own way, contribute to a number of what ultimately shows up as physical health issues. Um, so for, for both the physical and, you know, mental health benefits, I, um, I exercise a lot. And, and then try to focus on things like meditation and spending quality time with my son and my wife and our family. Uh, and, you know, sometimes stressing out over the food we eat can do more harm than just relaxing, forgetting about it and eating that thing that in the scheme of things probably won't make a difference. I think it's the repeated patterns and routines we create for ourselves that, that matter the most. And so if a routine is like guzzling an oat milk latte every morning with a bunch of canola oil in it and then having potato chips and having know fried food for dinner that can be an issue if it's like you know you're you're doing great and once every couple months you go out and have french fries probably not an issue yeah no i love it's still it's still realistic for people um okay jeff i warned you that 
we like to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q&A. So it's just three questions. But first thing that pops into mind, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? I've gone through phases of meditation and I do find it helpful. Um, I do it in the morning though, when I'm already pretty de-stressed to kind of just set me off on the right foot. So when I'm feeling a little stressed, my favorite de-stress activity is uh, a quick hike. We're very fortunate. Um, here in Oakland, California, we live right across the street from a bunch of hiking trails. So, um, within about four minutes, I can walk out the front door and be out in nature. And, um, that seems to, to de-stress me pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, how could it not? That sounds great. Um, coffee or tea? I don't do well with caffeine. Or neither. <laughs> but I love the taste of coffee. So um, I'm a big fan of decaf, actually. That's, I, I, you're speaking my language. I'm like, well, I, it's more so because I'm a nut job on caffeine. Um, <laughs> and it's like, I could do maybe do a half caffeinated. But what do you, do you put anything in your decaf coffee or just straight black? I enjoy it straight up. Um, sometimes I'll put some heavy cream in there because it's just yeah. so dang good. So um, good. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. I love tea too, but um, I, I probably have more more routine around coffee. Um, okay. My personal favorite question, what is your favorite home-cooked meal? A salmon linguine, which is a famous recipe from my mom. And I've modified it to use spaghetti squash instead of, instead of wheat linguine. Yum, that sounds delicious. Um, Jeff, thank you so much. I mean, this has been so enlightening. Just, I mean, one for myself, just to learn more about Culture Royal now, like, which will be my next question of like, where can people find you? Where can they buy the oil? Which also for myself. Um, and then also, can you plug your restaurant again and where their locations are for people listening? Sure. Uh, people can buy Cultured Oil at zeroacre.com. And uh, any questions, just reach out to us or we're on all the socials at Zero Acre Farms. Um, we have uh, a growing number of restaurants who are using cultured oil. My restaurant's called Kataba, and um, we have a couple of locations in the Bay Area and are available for delivery in certain parts of Los Angeles as well. Oh, awesome. Um, well, Jeff, again, thank you so much. I can't wait to try cultured oil for myself. Um, and honestly, I mean, you've convinced me to use it regularly just as our oil and it's you're solving a big problem and, you know, making it also environmentally friendly is something we obviously re need right now. So thank you for your passion and, you know, sharing this with the world. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for supporting Healthy Fats. Um, and yeah, hopefully, you know, we can we can solve this problem together. Would love it. This week's actionable step is to start to try to reduce your seed oil consumption. Whether that's eating out less during the week or avoiding buying any food options at the grocery store that have a seed oil listed on the ingredient list. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. 
If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.